the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things, put them in your brain. Hello, Funkin' listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. Today, we thought it would be fun to do an episode on some of the music used in the show Breaking Bad, because it just ended a couple of weeks ago. That's true. So, yeah, especially in the early seasons, I think anyone who's watched the series um, knows that it features a lot of really cool music. So we decided not only, not necessarily... um, funk and soul songs because that's kind of hard to to find yeah, find within to, this show but we had to branch out a little bit right um we were kind of just talking about songs that we liked and the moments in the show that those kind of correlate to um, so it's really cool and so if you watch breaking bad this will probably be a really cool episode and the next one as well because we're splitting it Into between two episodes. between two parts but if you have not seen all the whole series i suggest that you probably don't listen to these because we're going to be spoiling pretty much everything. Yeah, so spoiler spoiler a, alerts all over your face. So, especially if you haven't seen like the last season or two, don't listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> for your own good. We'll be describing some of the of our favorite episodes in detail, and we don't mm-hmm. want to like ruin because this is one of those shows that I wish I could just pull out like the Men in Black mind eraser thing <laughs> erase my memory of ever watching it and like re-experience it again watch it all again it's yeah. that good but unfortunately yeah. it, it's a show that's it's amazing but because so much of it is built around the notion of not knowing what's gonna happen like yeah. 90% of the time watching it over again is fun because the acting is still amazing mm-hmm. but it's just a little bit the suspense Less, is a big part of the, yeah, the story. suspenseful, exactly. We both love the show, so we figured it would be fun to talk about some of the songs in the show. Obviously, even between two episodes, we're not even scratching the surface of all the music that they play. There's a lot of polka. In the show. There's a lot of polka, there's a lot of um, reggae. Like mariachi stuff. A little bit of Mexican-type music. music uh, a little bit of hip-hop and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, a, even within what we chose, it's a pretty good mix, so... I think it's going to be pretty fun. I guess I should probably get it started off because I picked the first one. Okay. Okay. Um, the first song that I picked is the song You're Moving Me by Clyde McFadder. Um, this song is featured on Season 1, Episode 2, titled Cats in the Bag. Within the context of the episode, and I guess within the context that this song is played, Walter encounters Crazy Eight, who is a notorious drug dealer in... Um, New Mexico. What's the capital of New Mexico? That they're well, in? they're in Albuquerque. Albuquerque. Thank you. No, it's not the capital. Whatever. I know it's <laughs> Albuquerque. Uh, he's a notorious drug dealer in Albuquerque, whom Walt and his meth partner, Jesse, are attempting to use a dist- as a distributor for their quality meth. Yeah. And uh, this particular scene, Crazy Eight is walking down the road to meet the two of them, and this music is playing. Now, with the context of Crazy Eight, because he's not really in the show for very long, yeah. In I guess the realm of events around Crazy Eight, uh, after the transaction, he thinks that Walter is an undercover cop because Walter doesn't seem like the drug dealing type because he's a forties year old button down guy with a mustache. <laughs> um, yeah, and. He basically thinks he's a cop, and therefore, what would you do if you assumed someone was a cop? You'd kill them. Right. So Walter is able to defend himself, and the way he kills Crazy Eight and his accomplice who's with him is he says, you know, if you if you don't kill me, I'll show you how I make my meth. And they're like, okay. So they're using this, like, crappy old RV to, to cook their meth product in. So he takes them into the RV, showing them the steps of how to cook it, but then he takes this one chemical... And throws it into this other thing and creates like a rudimentary mustard gas. Yeah. He runs out of the RV as fast as he can and closes the door behind him and like pushes himself up against the door. So basically they're trapped in the RV with mustard gas and they basically suffocate to death. Yay. Yay. Well, they were bad guys, kind of. They were bad, so I didn't feel bad. That, but that was, this was the first time Walter White ever killed anybody. Yeah. By his own hand. That's true. His first taste of blood. In but, the second um, episode, he's already killing people. Yeah, right? <laughs> but getting back to the actual song, which is by Mr. Clyde McFadder, which is an awesome name, by the way. 
Uh, not, not fat. So he's not. No, fatter. he's not. Fa- he's <laughs> fat. He's fat as in his hip. P H A T. Yeah. Clyde McFadder is an American R and B and rock and roll singer, perhaps the most widely imitated R and B singer actually of the 1950s and 60s, making him a key figure in shaping the doo-wop and R and B scene of that time. Cool. His uh, high-pitched tenor voice was steeped in the sort of gospel music that he sang for much of his younger life, mm. which, as we talked about in previous episodes, doo-wop was born out of gospel. That's true. As were many different variations. Yeah. Soul as well. R&B. Yeah. And I guess he was originally with the fairly famous band The Dominoes, and then he split off from them to make his own group called The Drifters. And as we talked about with The Drifters, there's many different <laughs> versions of them. Oh, that's right. This, yeah. this, I believe, was the most famous version, though. Okay. And then after that, he went solo, and I believe this is one of his solo hits. Hmm. And sadly, similar to so many artists, he died at a very early age, at 39, because he struggled with years of alcoholism and depression. And according to the music notary Jay Warner's On This Day in Music History, he, quote, broke and despondent over a mismanaged career that made him a legend but hardly a success. Hmm. So basically, mismanagement within his career, he was very famous, but didn't really get a lot of lucrative windfall from that famousness which Uh, would kind of make anybody a little depressed yeah that's kind of sad because probably he got bad contracts that had all of his managers raking in most of the money Mm. which often happened back then before there were musician unions so yeah kind of sad um i guess it fits in the context of the sadness of the episode (laughs) yeah (laughs) So I guess with that, we should probably listen to a little clip of You're Moving Me by Clyde McFadden. If I take you by your hand Tell you I'm your lover man And if I smile, 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 smile You know you're moving me That was a pretty fat jam. That w- I, Would you say it was fatter than the rest? Well, we can't tell yet since we've only played this one, but yes, Aww. this is the okay. fattest song we've played in the entire episode so far. I can dig it. <laughs> but they'll only get fatter. So, moving right along to our next song from Season 1, Episode 4, so just two episodes later, we have a song called Didn't I? by Durando. Durando was actually the performing name of William Darren Pulliam, and he was a soul singer from San Francisco, uh, technically Berkeley, I think. Um, who was active throughout the 1970s. Uh, he began his professional career in the 60s when he was 18 as part of the Witnesses, a blue-eyed soul group. In the 70s, when he was a little bit older, he started performing on his own using a new, unique style reminiscent of artists like Al Green and the Dells. He is partly pretty well known for the dynamicness of his voice. So he, for example, he can shift pretty quickly from like a gravelly baritone up to like a wailing falsetto. Similar um, to Al Green. That's true. Not everybody uh, has that talent, necessarily, so that was probably what he was known for. So, he didn't release that many singles throughout his career. I think there were only a few in 1973, one of them being Didn't I, which is the song that we're talking about right now. And that was released in 1973 under the Berkeley-based Music City label. The song has since become his signature song, I guess partly because he doesn't have a whole lot to go from, but... That's okay. Something I found pretty interesting was that in 2008, so just a few years ago, uh, and many years after his heyday, producer Alec Paolo actually uncovered two albums worth of lost material recorded by Durando in his prime in 73 and 74. And these were released with much acclaim, partly also from Durando himself, and he was very happy because he thought those recordings had been lost forever. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to listen to those again for the first time in 40 years, basically. That's really awesome. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. And considering he didn't have that much to begin with, and that was basically his core work, that was, I thought that was pretty cool that he was able to, to discover that again. Um, unfortunately, Durando actually just died this year as a result of a heart failure, so that's pretty sad. How old was he? He was 66. Oh, that's not that old. That's a shame. Yeah, that's kind of sad. But, I mean, uh, considering what, what we were just talking about a second ago, that he was able to find his old original recordings again. I'm glad that they did find that before he died, so that he was able to enjoy that at least. Mm-hmm. So, that's cool. Now, in the episode of Breaking Bad, now, you may have to help me remember some of the context of this. 
but um, I saw I looked it up on YouTube and I found a clip of when this song is being played. Now, he this is an episode where he's in really bad shape with his cancer and he's coughing up blood and stuff, so he's feeling like crap, Walter White. And he's at one point he stops at a gas station and he's sitting there coughing. And then he looks up and he sees this complete a hole in his really fancy car. He drive the guy drives up and uh, he walks into the service station. And I don't remember if Walt had seen him before, but when the guys in the service station, Walt gets out of his car, screws to the guy's engine basically, and sets it on fire, makes the whole car explode. <sighs> and Walt just walks away like nothing's happening. He drives away. Do you are you watching the video? Yeah, sorry. Do you remember this at all? No, but it's awesome. Oh, you don't? No. I vaguely remember it, but I don't remember what the context was. I don't know if this guy had, like, cut him off or something earlier, or did something jerky to him. I did. I think he did something. This guy, because this guy in his fancy car, he has a license plate that says Ken wins, and then that's how Walt recognized him. But I do not remember... The song was, I think it was just a symbolism of, like, Walt finally kind of taking control and, you know, people would always step all over him and he would allow them to do so. But yeah. in this case, this guy who was, like, a douchebag to him, he basically just takes control and, like, <laughs> destroys the guy. Right. So to speak. Well, plus, I think part of it, too, is that the guy is so, like, oh, full of himself and privileged and everything, whereas Walt is doing everything he can to live a good life, but then he's dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. So he feels cheated, cheated kind of. So he's kind of taking it out on this guy. So I, I thought that was kind of a cool scene. That is an amazing scene. And I, I, I kind of forgot about it until we were doing research for this. Yeah. Now that you have um, an idea of where in the show that this song was played, um, we're going to listen to a little clip of Didn't I by Durando right now. <laughs> was Didn't I by Durando, played in the Breaking Bad episode Cancer Man from season one. I can dig it. Pretty good song. I really like his what this guy's voice, too, because I never heard him before. I was obviously because he wasn't that that famous, but I do hear a very close similarity to people like Al Green. Yeah. And uh, that sure. sound is really cool, so I dig it. For sure. Up next in our, I guess we're going chronologically here with the episodes, mm-hmm. is the song Catch Your Own Train by the Silver Seas. This song appears in Season 1, Episode 6, Crazy Handful of Nothing. Uh, the context of this is right after Walt blows up Tuco's base. Now, oh, if yeah. Anyone remembers, <laughs> if anyone remembers Tuco, he's pretty much the most insane person to ever be on that show. Yeah. How long was he? Because he was in there through part of at least Season 2, right? And then... Uh, if I remember, he died really early in Season 2. Yeah, because... We'll remember, because... And then he takes them to like his house, yeah, in the middle of nowhere, with, with his uh, his to with the guy with the bell. <laughs> yeah, what did you do to my to? <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, that was awesome. He was cool. To died but, in the most awesome way, as well. Oh, with the where he dings, ding, 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 with the uh, <laughs> what's his face, and then the guy's like ah, yeah, and it blows up. That was um, the best death of all. Oh my god, that was amazing. <laughs> oh, but yeah, um, this scene like. It's probably one of the most famous scenes of the show. Yeah, I would definitely say so, especially especially the early episodes, early seasons. Yeah, yeah, that's an awesome scene. I'm trying to remember the, the more relevant context. Other than just well, because um, they take they take the meth to um, Tuco to have him look at it, and then something. Oh, he doesn't want to pay them for it or something. It's been a long time since I've seen them. Is this where he blows it up by throwing? That yeah, little, and then he like, throws. It's all fake, and then he or something, and then he throws it, and it's actually explosive, and then yeah. it completely blows up his place. And then Charizard comes out of the building. <laughs> no. I love that gift. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. Wow, this was that early in the show. Let me yeah, see. that was really early. This was definitely one of my favorite moments of the show, um, because this is really the point where Walt was starting to make his transformation from his past life into a more hardcore guy dealing with drug dealers and stuff. Yeah, So yeah, for sure. This, this is definitely one of the highlights that shows Walt's uh, in ingenuity as well. Yeah, that too. Of him just, like, 
using chemistry to totally like f people's stuff up. Yeah, and so I remember like he blows up his house or or whatever his office, and then he walks to his car and he's getting ready to go and he can hear the sirens. Mm-hmm. And then when he you know turns on his car and starts driving away, that's when the song starts playing, uh, and then the episode ends. And that 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 was that's probably that's one of my favorite moments from the from the show. Sure. Pretty cool. And yeah, getting getting a bit into this this band that does the song, this overseas. They were originally known as the Bees, and they're kind of a pop rock band from Nashville hmm. that formed when their producer Jason Lenning met singer songwriter Daniel Tashian, who is the son of. Barry and Holly Tashian, and for those of you that don't know, they are a fairly famous American country and bluegrass duo. I didn't from know that. the uh, early seventies. Hmm. So remember, early seventies, like that whole bluegrass folksy scene was yeah. like ex- exploding. Yeah, because everyone wanted to be uh, what's his face, John Denver. And all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, and the this band, the the Bees. Uh, Formerly the Bees, oh. the Silver Seas. Oh, the Silver Seas, that's right. How uh, come they toured... become the Silver Bees? That would be amazing, and I <laughs> don't know. I guess they toured um, as an opening act for the band Guster, whom I've never heard of, in 2004 after an independent release of their debut album, Starry Gazy Pie. Hmm. I guess... So they're regardless... relatively contemporary. Yeah, they're then. pretty contemporary, fairly indie, but cool. I can dig it. Nice. Um, regarding this whole previously being the Bees thing... I guess in May 2nd of 2007, the Bees signed to the Los Angeles-based label Cheap Lullaby, which intended to reissue their album, their second album, High Society. However, due to copyright issues, namely that a UK band were also using the name The Bees, um, they forced the Nashville version of The Bees to change their moniker, which then turned into The Silver Seas. Interesting. So, Hmm. yeah, I guess they got in copyright trouble for that. Um, that might also so, be why they're not the Silver Bees. Maybe there's already a band called the Silver Bees. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's too similar to the Bees. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, this uh, is... They're definitely contemporary, but like it, they, this song made me kind of want to look up other stuff, and they're pretty chill. Yeah. I can dig it. I like I this song, it. too. It's kind of catchy. Yeah, right? So I guess, without further ado, we should probably listen to a little clip of this. We're going to try if our best to link to some of these scenes that have these songs so you can fit and obviously this is you know assuming you've already watched the show so we're not spoiling anything (laughs) so you can kind of see the context of these songs within the realm of the show and it kind of gives them a dual meaning right yeah so um yes this is going to be catch your own train by the silver seas yeah What do we got up next, Mr. Peter? Coming up next is a song called Who's Gonna Save My Soul by Nars Barkley. This was featured in the final episode of season one called A No Rough Stuff Type of Deal. So Nars Barkley is an American soul duo composed of music producer Brian Joseph Burton, known professionally as Danger Mouse, and singer-songwriter Thomas DiCarlo Calloway, known professionally as CeeLo Green. They're best known for their song Crazy, which peaked at number two in the Hot 100, in 2006. Oh, dude, that song was massive. Yeah. Because you make me crazy. I didn't actually know that... I had heard of Narles Barkley, but I hadn't really thought about it. I didn't know that it was a duo. The green guy? Bleep between these two people, yeah. I, I'm going to look up who Danger Mouse is, because I hear that name everywhere. Yeah, that's a name that seems familiar, too. It seems like he's like a DJ that does a lot of like duos with people. Mm. He's got one with Jack White, Nora Jones, Flaming Lips. Mm. Is he like the dangerous cousin of Dead Mouse? Danger Mouse, I guess, does a lot of, what do you call it, mashups mm-hmm. with other artists. And then CeeLo Green is, I guess, what would you call him, R&B? Yeah, I'd probably say so. I guess so. Um, what was CeeLo Green's, Forget You? Although, <laughs> yeah, well, Forget but... You was the radio version, the the real version was F.U. I love that song. <laughs> that was really popular for a while. That was. When was that, like two years, two, three years ago? Like 2009. That sounds about it was, right. It was sophomore year that it became really popular for us. Wow, it seems so long ago. I know. That's I'm so old. You're so old, Peter. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the, the their name, Narls Barkley, 
Um, Danger Mouse explains that the name Niles Barkley comes from a trend among their friends. Uh, what they like to do is they like to create fake names based on celebrities. So I guess their friend Josiah Steinbrick from the band Heavens came up with the name Niles Barkley to parody the basketball star Charles Barkley. So you kind of see how they come up with names that are similar to... I get it. To, yeah, it's not that hard to understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's Something I found kind of funny is that earlier in their career... Various radio DJs actually incorrectly attributed their songs to the basketball star. <laughs> so Charles Barkley was probably wondering That's, what the hell was going you probably, on. You probably got some call like, hey, this song's great, man. He's like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so I found that uh, pretty funny. So uh, according to a Billboard article, uh, it says, quote, Burton and CeeLo have been cagey about what the name of the act means, and each live performance is an opportunity to play dress-up as tennis players, astronauts, and chefs, among many other get-ups. The costuming extends to photo shoots, as Burton and CeeLo would rather impersonate characters from such films as Back to the Future or Wayne's World. So, kind of an interesting thing to think about there is that they really, I guess with their live performances, apparently, they really like to I do remember that, like... like that. I, I didn't know about that, but... I do remember that because I remember for one really fairly high profile concert that CeeLo did that was televised it was like the MTV Music Awards or something Uh he dressed up as Darth Vader (laughs) to do it and I remember he was always really weird for wanting to dress up in like different celebrity outfits or pop culture outfits so I guess that's his thing it's it's cool I mean it's it's you know it's not like he turned into like the male Lady Gaga or anything but right for some reason, it kind of makes me. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, bands like Parliament in yeah. the seventies, how they would dress up and have kind of alter egos almost that were the more. They were more consistent, um, whereas these guys I think kind of do their own thing each time. Yeah, true. Um, but true. it kind of reminded me of stuff like that. Wait, you mean Bootsy Collins isn't actually the ambassador of funk? Well, he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, no. That's it has awesome. a little bit. Uh, fun to the I like I liked Silo for a long time, but then he came out with an album, a second album in like 2010 or 11, and I was just like, uh, uh, kind of went downhill. Let's do that. And then he became a judge on that terrible, terrible show, The Voice, and I lost all respect <laughs> for him because I remember on the show he had this white fluffy cat that he would carry around with him everywhere like a Bond villain, and he looked really stupid with it. <laughs> um, so the song that these guys did called Who's Gonna Save My Soul, is a single from their second album, The Odd Couple, released in 2008. The song itself has been recognized mainly for its music video, which was directed by Chris Milk and featuring animation by Keith Sintay. Getting into the context of Breaking Bad, where this song is played, this song is played in uh, at the end of the, se- the very end of the episode, at the end of the season, when, and you may have to confirm with me on this one, uh, at the end, when they're in the junkyard, when they meet Tuco mm. and they kind of realize that they're kind of in deep crap because for doing business with him, because he's a complete maniac. And I think he is kills it, a guy. Yeah. This in front is the of one them or something. He, cause some friend of his who's with him tells him to like relax. And he's starting to get kind of like a weird and paranoid. Oh yeah. And he's like, Oh, okay. I'm relaxed. I'm relaxed. And then he literally just beats the living shit out of him. Oh, right. Yeah. And basically kills him right there on the spot. And Walton just, you're just like, what? Yeah. And then the episode basically ends there. Yeah. That was an amazing scene. It just like showed full force how insane Tuco is. Yeah. And and then I think for those characters as well, the protagonists, they kind of realize, Oh, this is kind of serious. I mean, this isn't, we're not playing around. This is the real deal. So I thought that was kind of an interesting way to end the, the first season, but also they played the song as well, which is kind of cool. So yeah, kind of remind me, because I remember that the season ends there, but then it also picks up again at the beginning of season two. And I don't remember why they hadn't left yet. Was it a cliffhanger? I think it was a cliffhanger. And then in season two, he basically like, kind of kidnaps them because it's, it's the beginning of season two that he that uh, he oh, kidnaps right, and he takes yeah. him to, to his to his tio oh because he doesn't trust them and he thinks that they might run off or you know tell the cops or something because he doesn't trust them because they're especially Walt is kind of an unlikely yeah guy and I guess Jesse isn't really to be trusted because he's kind of a low level addict type guy yeah so I think he take yeah I think you're right about that it's been a while <laughs> but anyway so that's where it's played in the show and I think it kind of adds some stuff to it 
So we're gonna play a clip of Who's Gonna Save My Soul by Gnarls Barkley. That was Who's Gonna Save My Soul by Gnarls Barkley, not to be confused with Charles Barkley, the basketball player, as some radio DJs did. Luckily, we are informed at least enough to know that it wasn't by him. Although, that is still pretty funny. Yeah. So does the song play after he beats him to death? Yeah, it's after he beats him to death, and I think it's played like at the very end of the scene and then like into the credits. Yeah. What do we got up yeah. next, Mr. Kyle? Up next, we have... That's another song that you did. That's correct. Oh yeah, because because we're going in. Um... I could talk a bit about the episode because yeah, I, I sure. watched this episode actually pretty recently. But... Oh, okay. Yeah, you can do that. Right. We're doing these in chronological order, and we uh, chose different ones. So that's how it works out. So we're gonna jump into a little bit, a few episodes into season two now, uh, specifically episode four, which is called Four Days Out," which is probably one of the more memorable episodes in the early seasons. Oh. Should we? talk about the scene first or do you want to talk about the let's talk about the scene first okay this episode four days out i actually remember it pretty clearly because i watched it not too long ago because it is one of my favorite episodes Mm -hmm. in this particular episode walt gets some even more disconcerting news than normal from the doctor thus making him think he's going to die fairly fairly quickly Mm -hmm. so him and jesse still have a bunch of methylamine which is obviously the major ingredient in meth in their RV, and Walt tells a fib to Jesse that methylamine has an expiration date of sorts, mm-hmm. so they have to use all of it before it goes bad, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. So he convinces Jesse to come with him out to the middle of the desert for, like, three straight days to just cook all of the methylamine and sell, like, make all of the meth <laughs> that, that they can with, their, with the stuff they have. Now, Skylar, Walt's wife, goes... I think just since she got out of town or something. That's part of the reason why he can yeah. be gone for like three or four days. No, he, because she's he, out of town. He convinced her that he was going to go visit his mother to tell him that tell her oh, that he yeah. had cancer. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I forgot about that. didn't actually do that. Right. There's a lot of like really memorable like little tidbits in this in this episode, though. I remember they ha- they're gathering supplies to like, like food and stuff so that they can, you know, take it out with them so they don't starve to death. Mm-hmm. And... Jesse grabs nothing but, like, Funyuns and, like, <laughs> gr- grape soda and stuff. And Walt's looking at the ingredients of the Funyuns, and he's like, how are you not dead? <laughs> uh, because he's a chemist, and he knows exactly, what, like, what a lot of that crap is. Yeah. That would really suck to be a chemist and go grocery shopping. Oh, I know. Right? So, they go out. Well, Jesse has the keys, and he goes to put the keys on, like, this table, and Walt yells at him. He's like, no, this is the work table. Don't put the keys here. Put them somewhere else safe where you remember them. So Jesse had the genius idea of just putting the keys in the ignition, but not turning it on. <laughs> but with that particular vehicle, even if you put them in the ignition, it turns it on to, like, accessory mode, basically. So they drain the battery in the car okay. in the RV. So they have an RV with no battery. They're basically stranded in the middle of the desert. They had no help. And the rest of the episode is just them, like, slowly wanting to kill each other because Walt just keeps braving Jesse for being a complete idiot and then eventually kind of opens up to Jesse about, like, his cancer and stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember that, like, Walt, at the, like, towards the end of the episode, they're basically, like, you know, maybe another day away from dying because they have no food or water. Right. Walt's just lying in the... Uh, on the floor in the van and Jesse's like trying to get him to like think of something he's like come on Mr. White you're smart you can build something we can like make a bomb or a robot or something mm-hmm. it's like we can like make a new battery and then like it clicks into Walt's head like a new battery like holy crap we can do that and then <laughs> he gets up and he's like he's like you're right he's like we're gonna make a robot <laughs> <laughs> and Walt just gives him this look like you are an idiot and I just, uh, <laughs> I don't know why, I just love, love that episode. Yeah. But, yes, uh, in one of the scenes of that episode, it's played the song One by One by the Black Seeds, which I know, Peter, you have actually mentioned before because you like them, so go ahead and talk about them. Okay. So the Black Seeds are a kind of a reggae-slash-rock-slash-funk-slash-soul group. 
their style is really kind of a mix of all those genres into one, which is part of the reason why I like them, because they're not quite like anything else that I listen to. Uh, so it's kind of cool. And so since 2001, they've released seven albums, which wow. is pretty cool. The song One by One that we're talking about comes from their 2006 album, Into the Dojo. The single failed to make any chart positions, um, but the album itself is certified double platinum in New Zealand. Now, at this point, I actually looked into it and found this kind of interesting. Did some research about music certification. So music recording certification is measured differently in many countries, and each one has their own criteria. So, for example, in the U.S., the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA, who we've mentioned uh, multiple times on the show, they award platinum status to a record that has sold 1 million copies. Interestingly, the Recording Industry Association of New Zealand, the R-I-A-N-Z... Rains. Rains. Um, you make my eyes their, <laughs> their platinum level is only measured at 15,000. See, that, I figured that would make sense, though, because it all, it's all dependent on the population of the country. I yeah. guess. Like, New Zealand, 1 million people is like one like all the one thirtieth of the country. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean yeah, that's a good point. It might be the the size of the country itself, I guess. Yeah. That might be uh, it. That would be my best guess as to why there's different certificates. Now fifteen thousand is a lot less than a million. Yeah. How what is the population of New Zealand? That's a good question. It's to good, the Wikipedia's But because in America well you can have multi, multi or double platinum, which is oh, two wow. million or more, but also diamond which is ten million. But in New Zealand Platinum, 15,000 is the highest one. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, though, because it's saying here that their entire population is 4.4 million people. Oh, wow, that's really tiny. So 15,000 would probably still be like, you know, like a third of 1%, which is about what it is equal to in America. Right. Roughly. Maybe not. Maybe I'm, like, way off because maths. Uh, I'm looking it up. It's a third of a percent, like you said. Oh, really? Yeah. You are right. And, and and one million is a third of a percent in America, because we have 300 million people. There you go. Holy crap, I'm a genius. Yay. <laughs> math. Math. I'm almost, I'm like Walter White of math. <laughs> so, yeah. So that taught but, me something new about music certification. I can dig it. I don't know. I and say, all, I, how many times have I said that in this show so far? What did you say? I can dig it? I can dig it. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, my, it's my new phrase. That you've been using for half the show. Yeah, Yeah, there's a whole entire list of all the different recording industry associations of all these different countries. There's probably a good 50 of them or more. Wow. And all of them have all these different levels of of sales and stuff, so it's kind of interesting. That's cool. Yeah, so that's all I have about uh, that song. Should we listen to a clip? Yeah, we should listen to a clip of One by One by the Black Seas. One by one, something, something. That's not the Black Sea. Just a game I play when yeah. I want to sing. That was so? not the right song. <laughs> 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 that was One by One by the Black Seeds, in case you didn't know. And that was played in the Breaking Bad episode four days out from season two. I can dig it. I'm glad you can. I need a new phrase. I can... Re- I can remember, like, it. in our eighth episode or something, you came up with... That's pretty crunchy or something. That's what... Okay, you know what? That was pretty crunchy. I like it. That was... Yeah. That was the crunchiest. It was It was as crunchy as Funyuns. But what is it? Was it the fattest? No. It was not the McFattest either. McFattest. So, the next song we have coming up is the song Enchanted by the Platters, which is, appears on Season 2, Episode 11, called Mandela. I guess, with regard to the context of the episode, this is the scene where Jesse first tries heroin with his then-girlfriend, Jane. Yeah, Jane. Because she is a recovering heroin addict, he is a drug dealer, they are neighbors because she is technically his landlord, he kind of re-exposes her to the seedy side of life and gets her back on heroin. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so she shows him how to do it the first time. And the scene, even though it's, like, super dark because it's, you know, heroin drug use, is... Mm -hmm absolutely hilarious because he does heroin and just falls back onto his bed 
and then it does this amazing camera angle which to this day aside from just wires or something i don't know how they did it and it like visually shows him floating off of his bed to the ceiling oh i forgot about that of his room but like it's always looking down at him so like the, his bed and floor and stuff are just slowly pulling away from him yeah i forgot about that while it's playing this particular song and it's just the most hilariously depressing <laughs> scene ever so i didn't yeah. like jane that much i mean she was no, cool. you're not supposed to because she's especially when she starts blackmailing walter because she turns into a total bad lady b word as much as i absolutely love the show that was the one character dynamic that i didn't understand was like mm. at first her she was cool with jesse then she tried to change jesse then she finds out that Jesse's coming to all this money that mm-hmm. Walt is keeping. And so like in like the fastest 180 I've ever seen a character do in their life, <laughs> goes from just being Jesse's kind of chill but overbearing girlfriend to this attemptively blackmailing sociopath of sorts yeah. to Walter. And everyone knows you don't mess with Walter. You're right. Which, major spoiler alert, is probably why he let her overdose. <laughs> Well, that is why it was, right? Because she was blackmailing him and was going to take his money and stuff. Yeah. Or was going to expose was, him, maybe, or something. She and was, so... like, ODing on heroin, because that's bad. And right. And he was, like, standing there and just basically just let her die and left the room. Yeah. and But Jesse didn't know that until, like, oh. the end of the show. Yeah. Oh, dude, that was so messed up when he told him. Yeah. Oh, man. That was harsh. But getting back to the song, this is um, a bit more relevant, I guess, because we have discussed the Platters on the show before. They are a fairly famous sort of soul R&B group. Yay. For those of you that don't know, the Platters were actually one of the most successful vocal groups of the early rock and roll era. Their unique sound was a bridge between the burgeoning new genre of sort of doo-wop-y R&B stuff mm-hmm. and the pre-rock Tin Pan Alley tradition. The Platters kind of fused that... Um, very very early 1900s 1910s sound with the current doo-wop-y to kind of get mm. this more all-encompassing sort of genre going that's cool the platters i guess lineup went through a bunch of different changes i uh, originally comprising with lead tenor tony williams david lynch not the director <laughs> paul robbie herb reed and zola taylor so the group the platters had 40 charting singles on the billboard hot 100 between 1955 and 1967 so in 12 years, they had 40 charting singles as well as four number one hits. That's not terrible at all. That's like three or four songs a year. Yeah. Or something. Something like that. Maybe. Three. I guess their unique vocal style kind of touched a nerve in the music buying public, and therefore a string of hits really followed fairly quickly, including three more national number one hits and some more modest chart successes, including I'm Sorry, which reached number 11, He's Mine, which reached number 23 in 1957, Enchanted, the song we are discussing, which reached number 12 in 1959, and The Magic Touch, which reached number 4 in 1956. So, a lot of fairly major hits in even just that small time span of five or six years. Yeah. This particular song is pretty awesome. I wonder if I have it on vinyl, because I do have a Best of the Platters. Whatever, I'm not going to look for it. too lazy. (laughs) So... Yeah, let's listen to a little clip of Enchanted by the Platters that you can do your drug of choice to. My choice of drug is funk. Is a dream when you make it seem enchanted. Lovers take for granted all the world's glow. That was Enchanted by the Platters. Pretty good song. And a pretty cool scene in that show. That's um, true. What do we got up next, Mr. Kyle? Well, Mr. Kyle, uh, we have <laughs> the next song that I picked, uh, Life, by the awesomely named band Chocolate Genius, which appeared in Season 2, Episode 13, which is titled ABQ. I don't know what that... Oh, Albuquerque. Yeah, <laughs> I'm stupid. Hmm. I was like, what's ABQ? Maybe they meant barbecue. What's <laughs> 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 they just... <laughs> Got the letters wrong, we're like, whatever. Yeah. Maybe it means uh, Albuquerque barbecue. Oh, I like that. This episode is when Walter enters surgery to remove the shit in his lungs, which is cancer. Um, <laughs> this is actually kind of a big major turning point for Walter because obviously the success or the failure of the surgery determines his immediate actions afterwards, whether or not he's going to live on. Mm-hmm. 
in remission or he's going to basically just continue to die and have to continue to cook meth. That's true. So, obviously, spoiler alert, the surgery was a success, um, and he was able to remove the mass in his lungs, thus allowing his cancer to go into remission. Yay. So, yay. But doesn't he get upset or something? Oh, no, that's the, that's at the end of... That's at the end of uh, Four oh. Days Out, where he punches that towel dispenser. Yeah, that was cool. Because he was like so... Because remember, in that episode, at the end, he found out... The news that he thought was bad, because I think he thought it was bad, because he looked at an x-ray and there was a big white spot turned out to be good news according to the doctor because it wasn't actually the cancer it was like a buildup of phlegm or something uh, and the cancer the doctor gave him encouraging news that like his the mass of his tumor had gone down by like 80 percent or some crazy amount. Uh, he goes into the bathroom and finds out he's like completely overwhelmed with this fact and then gets really pissed because he basically almost allowed himself to die in the desert for being so stupid yeah when he basically would have like possibly went on and been fine yeah because the cancer was going, was slowly going away. That was kind of a cool moment. For him. That was a very cool moment. Uh, anyways, but yeah, that was in that was in four days out, not this episode. But it's. Sort of <laughs> I almost I almost thought the episode was called Chocolate Genius because. Of... That would be awesome. <laughs> That's when they first get introduced to Huel. God. I love Huel. He's not really a genius though. No, he's like the opposite. Of it. it looks like his brain is like too small for his head. <laughs> I guess regarding the actual group chocolate genius it's a loose collective of musicians centered around mark anthony thompson who is a singer-songwriter from new york city thompson has released two albums during the 1980s under his own name and has been compared to a wide variety of musicians including tom waits prince jeff buckley d'angelo lenny kravitz and terence trent darby cool that's a lot of people He signed to V2 Records for his black, for Black Music, his 1998 debut under the name of Chocolate Genius. Hmm. So, this is from that thingy. The song Life is from the album Black Music. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. For some reason, the the name Black Music doesn't strike me as the most creative title. Yeah, for right. An album. It's like, hey, I'm black. I'm making music. Bam, Black Music. <laughs> I should call my stuff White Music. <laughs> we should call our show White Talking. <laughs> white Talking about black music. Yeah, there you go. White, instead of like White House Black Market, White People Black Music. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically our show. <laughs> yeah. White People Black Music. So yeah, that was uh, the a little bit about the artist Chocolate Genius. I think we should probably listen to a little clip of the song now. So, this is Life by Chocolate Genius. Scissors and rock, paper and knife. It's pink and it's soft, roses and rain. Black and it's good life, pleasure and pain. It's life. We hope you learned a little bit about Life by Chocolate Genius to that last song. I did, indeed. He sure is a chocolate genius. Yes. So, what do we got up next, Mr. Breeder? Coming up next is our last song for this episode. It's called A Horse With No Name by America. America! Yay. Which appears in the second episode of Season 3. I don't think we actually ended up talking, taking very many songs from Season 3, hmm. interestingly. I think there was a lot of music in the first couple of seasons, and then... Because I think as... Season 3... Sorry, I was going to say, I Go think ahead. Season 3 is from Nothing But Polka and mariachi band music <laughs> oh that's true yeah but also as the show got more serious especially like in the last season the music was more spread out you would get like maybe one or two songs per episode at best mm-hmm. um but i think it, especially like when the when the show you were you were saying this to me a little bit ago kyle how um in the earlier seasons it was a little bit more lighthearted. yeah um so it lent itself to having music more often Whereas basically by the end of season five, it was extremely serious. So yeah, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunities for that, I guess. Anyway, so the band America is an English American folk rock band who formed in 1970. We talked about them not that long ago with the song "You Can Do Magic," which that's right was one of their more famous songs. That's a good song. Um, so the original members were. Jerry Beckley, Dewey Bunnell, and Dan Peake. 
Uh, the three members were barely out of their teens when they became a musical sensation in 1972, scoring number one hits and winning a Grammy for the Best New Musical Artist. And that's kind of crazy, considering they were basically teenagers. Yeah. Or just out of it, so... 20. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. They're more successful than we we are at 23. But we have funk radio. We're more successful than anybody. Oh yeah, that's true. Because we have the funk. A Horse With No Name was the band's first and most successful single, released in early 1972, and topped the charts in several countries. It was certified gold by the Recording Industry Association of America, whom we talked about earlier, uh, and it sold 500,000 copies. And this was before they made their change in 1976? I guess. No, I was actually trying to look that up, and I couldn't find it, because we're always talking about how that happened. Because yeah. we found it, it out. But did I it not actually it. happen? I don't know if it happened now, because I was looking at the page about the RIAA, yeah. and I was trying to find that bit about how they changed the number, the criteria for gold, mm-hmm. but I didn't see it, so I'm not sure. I, must, I, I thought we found it, though, so it must have happened. Uh, I, I did know, I did see that in 1976, they added, because up, up until 1976, they only went up to gold. Oh, they added platinum. But then they added that, platinum in 76. That was the change. So, and that was for a million, because I guess up until then, no song had ever sold a million. Yeah. But then kind of then and then after that, it happened a lot. Uh, I'm fact, not sure when they added Diamond. Probably uh, I don't the know. 80s. Yeah, I was just looking here. I guess 10 million new albums is Diamond. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a damn lot. So, they give you like an album made out of Diamonds? <laughs> You have to dig a long time in Minecraft to find all of that. (laughs) Minecraft joke. Yay. So, I don't want to say that we have been wrong the whole time about that, because it seems like we found that out somehow. But we could be wrong about it, I'm not sure. My whole life is a lie. (laughs) I'm sure you listeners don't care. Maybe you do. Tell us on our Facebook page. A Horse With No Name was originally called Desert Song. (laughs) (laughs) I know you don't give a shit about us. Tell us on our Facebook page. (laughs) (laughs) A Horse With No Name was written by band member Dewey Bunnell. Um, He wanted to capture the feel of the hot, dry desert that he remembered from his childhood. Because apparently when he was um, a kid, his family lived in Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. And his family would often take trips into Arizona and New Mexico. And he would see the desert, and I guess that kind of became a, a memory for him growing up. So then he kind of created a song that captured that feel of that. Kind of funny enough, the New Mexico desert, which may have been partly the inspiration for the song itself, was actually a lot of the setting for Breaking Bad. Indeed. So that's kind of a cool connection in that way. So in the show, in the scene where this uh, in Breaking Bad where this song is featured... So Walt is driving in his car through the desert. He's singing along to this song on the radio. Then a police car comes up behind him and pulls him over. I had to watch the scene again because I couldn't really remember what happened. Um, But it was because Walt's windshield was completely cracked to hell in the front. And uh, Walt lies and said it's it's because the debris of the Wayfair 515 uh, plane crash that happened above his house. And if you remember from the show, that plane crash happened because Jane... After Walt let her die, basically, her father, who worked as an air traffic controller in Albuquerque, That's right. he, he liked... was all depressed and everything, and he got distracted, and he basically had two planes crash into each other yeah. in the air, and so like a whole bunch of people died from that, and, and so basically all those people's blood was on Walt's hands, um, much. which is kind of which is kind of crazy. So Walt lies and says that a piece of the debris from that plane crash hit his windshield. So to, to get um, sympathy from the guy so he'd be like oh okay yeah I know that was a tragedy but the cop completely doesn't really care and he says it's no matter how it happened it's not safe to drive this vehicle so he gives Walt a ticket and then Walt gets out of his car and starts arguing with the guy and completely blowing up on him and the cop says you know if you don't get back in your car I'm going to arrest you and then um, Walt doesn't stop so the guy pepper sprays him in the face and then <laughs> takes him off to jail now, Good the real job, reason yeah. that his windshield was cracked was, I believe, it was because when he ran over those two people, right? Yeah, to save Jesse. To save Jesse, yeah. Yeah. No, were those right. the... who? I'm trying to think of who those guys were. They were... were they were... 
Not the cousins. Bro. They were not the cousins. No, they were definitely not the cousins. Um, but they were somebody, and they were coming after them because they killed somebody. But yeah. Oh my gosh, I remember that time, like, when he does run them over yeah. with his car. My jaw, like, dropped. I was just like, ah, uh, for like, like, and then the episode ends. I remember that moment. I was like, oh, in oh this my, episode? yeah, I was like, oh my god, that was yeah. crazy. So yeah, and that's how his windshield got cracked, and for some reason he didn't fix it. But then he ended up in jail, and I don't remember how, what happened after that. I guess maybe Skylar bailed him out or something. Probably. They had already known Saul by then, right? Yeah, that's yeah. True. I'm not sure. Uh, so that's when it was in the show, and this is a pretty catchy song too. And as you as you heard, uh, this is their most famous song from their entire career. So it's a pretty good song. We're gonna listen to a clip of "A Horse with No Name" by America. That was A Horse With No Name by America, featured in the second episode of Season 3 of Breaking Bad. Yeah, no, this was a good scene. Very much showing Walt's transformation into Heisenberg. That's true. Uh, so yeah, that's that has, I guess this has been what we already have, like, breaking into Season 3, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're halfway through a two-part Breaking Bad music episode. That's true. Yeah, as, as we mentioned at the beginning, um, we're going to call it quits for now, but we will have a second episode coming next in which we will cover songs that we liked uh from possibly the end of season three but also seasons four and five mm-hmm. there's a lot of good ones in four and, the, and there's some good ones in four and five as well so uh do stay tuned for that and i'm sure you will if you like breaking bad and we hope you like us as well if you do like us you can like us on facebook at facebook.com slash get your funk uh on the page we will post uh, our episodes when as soon as they are released we also post uh, videos to songs and links and stuff that we like and news throughout the week between episodes. And we also post playlists from our episodes uh, featuring the full songs in our episodes on Spotify so that you can listen to the songs in their entirety rather than just short clips as we do on the show. And if you want to have our episodes automatically downloaded to your computer on iTunes... You can like our show on iTunes. Or not like, I'm sorry. Subscribe. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And we encourage you to do that as well. Because we like when people like us. Mm -hmm. Our entire existence is fed off of people's adoration of us. Yes, and if you don't subscribe, we will cease to exist. Yeah. So the stakes are high. We appreciate you supporting us because we do enjoy bringing you the funk on a regular basis. Until next time for more Breaking Bad Adventures, this has been your host, Peter. And this has been your host, Kyle. Good night, or good day, whatever it is. Good night and good luck. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8thCircuit.com.